You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women Podcast. This is episode number 409. I am your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. And today I am renewing my episode with Dr. Carrie Jones, who is a naturopathic physician who is board certified in naturopathic endocrinology. She also has a master's in public health and over 17 years experience in the field of functional and integrative nutrition. She has many accolades, including she is the medical director for Precision Analytica, Inc., which is actually the creators of the Dutch Test, which many of you have heard me mention multiple times. It is kind of the gold standard when it comes to hormone testing. Wow. If you have any questions about hormone health after age 40, this podcast is for you. Not only do we talk about finding balance getting back to the basics, and supporting hormone health over 40. But we also talk about perimenopause and how to support your body through that transition. If you are feeling alone, like, gosh, I wish I I have all these questions and I wish I had more support and I wish more people talked about hormones in your 40s, you are not alone because this episode was actually in response to those questions being asked over and over again and me getting those requests. So I am so thrilled to be able to get this episode out again because I still get those questions today. And honestly, it's something that I want to listen to, too. It's something that we can you can continue to come back to when you start to maybe experience symptoms and you're just not sure how to handle it and what to do to support your body. So I'm thrilled to get this out again. I'm thrilled that I was able to interview Dr. Carrie Jones, and I'd love to have her on again, quite frankly. She also, just a quick note, she has uh, her own podcast now, and I will link to that in the show notes. It's called The Root Cause Medicine Podcast. So go check that out and listen to it if you want more information about this. For now, let's get to the episode. Yeah, it's very, I think it's so interesting. The system that's set up is that we learn about our periods probably when we're like 12 or 13 going through puberty and we learn about Mm -hmm. it as this bleeding phase and we learn nothing else about our cycles or what, you know, what ovulation is and why that's important and why we should be ovulating. We don't have a clue about estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, these things that majorly influence us every single month when we're cycling and obviously when we go into perimenopause and we know nothing. And it's like we really have to do some digging to find appropriate information, because if we go to traditional medical providers, a lot of times women are put on hormonal birth control or they're just given a cream or something to fix it. And we're not we don't ever talk about the root cause, which I can I can you know, it is confusing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) right. It's confusing. Uh, I have a lot of women who didn't even know what perimenopause was. I mean, I've had women in their 40s um, often, and they would say, uh, I skipped a couple periods and I'm having hot flashes. Something's wrong with me. I'm like, oh, no, you're 47. You are perimenopausal. Um, let's work on this. And they were just shocked, floored. I'm like, no, 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 no. Nobody ever taught me about this. No one's ever talked about this. My mom never talked about this. I've had regular cycles my whole life. What is happening? And it's concerning that nobody explained it to her. It's not 
normalized in, you know, mainstream society mm-hmm. that, you know, millions and millions and millions and millions of women go through this and nobody wants to talk about it. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Uh, So let's dive right in because I think this is a topic, obviously, that so many of us do need. We need to be educated. So please educate us when it comes to, um, you know, perimenopause. What exactly is it? And when do women start to experience the symptoms of it? That is a great question. So we call the part of your life where you are cycling, where you should be getting a regular period. Um, we call that like your reproductive years, whether you're trying to get pregnant or not, that doesn't matter. We kind of call that your, your reproductive years or your pre menopausal years. So like well before menopause, then what happens is we get older and it generally starts to happen in our forties, maybe into our early fifties is that the ovaries um, are are born with a finite number of eggs. And what surrounds the eggs are cells, and these cells make our hormones. Our hormones like estrogen, they'll make our hormone like progesterone, they'll make testosterone. And as we release an egg every month, or in fact, a lot of these eggs, they go through something called natural cell death, They, they die on their own. Eventually, as we hit our 40s and early 50s, we don't have the capability anymore to make these hormones. And so some months, the hormone production falters or fails. We don't release the egg. We don't ovulate. And things aren't as regular and as normal as we used to experience. And so what women feel is um, kind of like a reverse uh, puberty. That's what I tell them. Like, remember going through puberty? Well, now you have to reverse out of it. And so they'll start to say, I'm noticing my cycles are weird. I'm noticing maybe it's heavier, maybe it's shorter, maybe it's longer. Maybe they're um, getting their period every 35 days, every 45 days. Maybe they skipped a cycle. They're getting symptoms like hot flashes or night sweats. They're gaining some weight, which totally sucks. They're noticing changes in their hair and their skin, maybe some joint pain that they didn't used to have, some mood stuff. Their anxiety is getting a little worse the brain fog, they have to keep lists when they used to be able to remember everything um, when they were younger. And these symptoms can come and go. So women will say, oh my God, I had a hot flash last night, but it hasn't come back, you know? (laughs) And then, and then, and then maybe a couple weeks later, they'll, something will happen and they'll go, oh, I had another hot flash. What does this mean? And it's, it's a hormonal, it's, it's a natural process of the female body to go through and transition into full menopause, which is when we're not reproductive anymore. But that in-between stage, that in-between stage is a little bit like reverse puberties. It's a little bit or a lot of bit chaotic for a lot of women. <laughs> <laughs> exciting. It, that's, yeah. It sounds I always exciting. joke, I'm 43. So I, I, I told my, all my friends are in their forties. Most of my friends are in their 40, my best friends. And, uh, so we compare notes all the time. Like, what, what is, what do you have? What do you got going on today? <laughs> so yeah, and whoever designed perimenopause, I would like a word with. Um, <laughs> I feel like we could have done this better. I think a little more attention to detail could have been yeah discussed. <laughs> yeah, because you know, it's it's honestly, it's kind of a stressful time in women's lives. I mean, it, I feel like every 
it's all stages are stressful in their own way. But especially now, like you're mentioning all these symptoms and it's a little disheartening because I do feel like I've had a lot of those symptoms just, you know, postpartum dealing with babies and toddlers and all that stuff. And I think, oh, I'm finally going to get my sleep back and things are going to get better when they're sleeping. And now you're telling me, you know, hey, by the way, it all goes downhill again (laughs) when your kids are hitting when your kids are hitting puberty. Yeah, well, possibly. And they'll, (laughs) they'll say that in the studies. It's just interesting. I was, you know, read the studies where they talk about um, why perimenopause, obviously the hormonal imbalance is a big one, but then it's just the, all the external lifestyle changes. So when women are in their maybe mid to late forties into their fifties, their parents are generally aging. And so they're having to become caretakers. Their kids are often maybe graduating high school or into college university. And like, that's a big transition time. It's a, it's a time of relationship changes. You know, maybe the kids are out of the house, divorces are happening. Um, illnesses. Women are often at maybe the height of their career. They're starting a second career. Their entrepreneurship is completely taken off. Their things are going, you know, really well. And so stress is really high for all the women this year. It's 2020, which is its own verb, (laughs) adjective, noun, all the things. Yeah. And so it's definitely, you're not kidding. Like, and they talk about it in the literature, how women enter into perimenopause, not exactly in a relaxed spa-like state of mind, like a lot goes onto their plate, um, just from external things. Yeah. Life, right. Life. So when it comes to how long perimenopause lasts and those hormonal shifts and those symptoms that we experience is, is perimenopause the same for every woman or are there pretty big variances in what each woman will experience? There are pretty big variances. Now, most all women, just having seen primarily women my entire clinical career, most everybody will get some of the symptoms. You know, they'll notice they'll get hot flashes or night sweats or joint pain, the brain fog, the weight gain, maybe the insomnia. But it comes it tends to come and go. It's not like they have hot flashes 24 seven. It's not like they have brain fog 24 seven. Um, but in some women experience it very mildly, maybe for a year or two. And other women are unfortunately have a, have a tougher time. They, they are in tears because of the symptoms and it can last quite a long time. Um, but what I have found and what, what a lot of women have found is that it's definitely, it's this transition time in our life is it, is it, it gives us a good look at what, where we're at in our life, what habits we have, what lifestyle factors we're doing, um, our, how happy we are or aren't, and it can really makes us reevaluate like what is working for us and what isn't because it's a big time of transition all over. And I think that's what I want women to understand the most when it comes to perimenopause. Like it's definitely the time of your life when you're going to you have to, you have to tighten up some things. You're going to let go of some things. You're going to straight out cut out some things. You're going to add in some things because we want to make this transition pretty as is, is, is easy as possible because then you move into menopause and at menopause, you, your periods go away completely. A lot of these symptoms tend to minimize for a lot of women, they'll go away. Some, some don't, but for a lot of them, they notice, you know, once they're fully menopausal for a while, their hot flashes, their joint pain, you know, their night sweats, their sleep gets better. Like all this stuff kind of improves again. And now they've transitioned to the next stage of their life, which is wonderful. It's just this in-between section you know, for women yeah. 
it can be really variable. But I know there are some big triggers to making it worse. And so that's what women need to work on. Yeah. When we're talking about this variety of symptoms, is there one specific hormonal imbalance or like is is it caused mostly by estrogen dominance or is there any one thing that is causing a lot of these symptoms or does it just vary isn't it all over the place because of course I'm trying to oversimplify this and make right. it easier but <laughs> right <laughs> so what I'll tell you what happens so as women move through perimenopause they tend to ovulate less they tend to release less eggs and when you don't ovulate you don't make progesterone so as women hit their 40s and into their 50s they start to make less 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 progesterone. It's kind of a steady decline. Estrogen, on the other hand, estrogen is made in the ovaries, but it's also made in our fat tissue, believe it or not, um, through this other little chemical pathway. And our estrogen becomes way more chaotic. And so there's this funny graph that actually Harvard Harvard University put out. And it's, it's, it's just, if you can think of the craziest, wildest roller coaster ride ever, if you drew it out, that's the graph they have to show what estrogen is like in the perimenopausal state. Because the body is constantly trying to help you. It's trying to like scan you and go, oh gosh, you don't have estrogen. We need the estrogen. The ovaries aren't making estrogen. Okay, let's ramp up estrogen out of the fat tissue. Or maybe the ovaries are over-responding. The, the brain is telling the ovaries, make, make estrogen today, but it, the signal's too much. And so the ovaries make too much. And this is what happens. The sort of chaos happens in menopause. On top of it, other hormones play a role, such as cortisol and epinephrine, which is adrenaline. They contribute a lot to hot flashes and night sweats and insomnia. Because again, all the glands in the body, they're trying to help her, right? They're trying to help you balance. They're trying to like, okay, we have no progesterone. Estrogen's doing its own roller coaster thing. Like we will try over here. And, um, and, and so it becomes sort of multifactorial. So there's not necessarily one hormone I can pinpoint, um, because they all play a different role. Um, but there is a little bit of chaos in all of them. I know many of you can relate to this. Traveling and holidays can put a stress on your digestive system. Increases in stress overall actually slows down your digestive processes and blood flow to your digestive organs, which can result in things like gas, bloating, and cramping. On top of that, as we age, our body produces fewer digestive enzymes. So if your digestion has been off or you've been struggling with unwanted symptoms for quite some time, digestive enzymes is a great place to start. Enzymes are the workhorses of digestion. They break down your food into usable macro and micronutrients. My favorite digestive enzyme and the ones we use personally is Masszymes, which is a formula from Bioptimizers. Even my naturopathic doctor recommended it because it contains proteolytic digestive enzymes, which help to break down protein and increase the absorption of key amino acids. Taking Masszymes daily helps top off your enzyme levels and replace the enzymes your body is no longer producing. Start slow, build up your dosage, and you'll likely see a big difference in how you feel after meals. To grab our big time discount, head to masszymes.com forward slash well fed. Again, that's mass, M-A-S-S, Zymes, Z-Y-M-E-S dot com forward slash well fed and use the code well fed for 10% off and you can get up to 25% off with our link when you purchase a bundle. Yeah, you mentioned cortisol. Is 
are there factors that influence when a woman starts perimenopause, like when that starts to happen? And could it have you seen in your practice and in your experience women be thrown into perimenopause because of chronic stress or like a very stressful event? So stress will induce um, sort of perimenopausal like states in younger women. So I have women in their 30s, you know, like yourself who say, oh, my gosh, I'm not sleeping and I have hot flashes. Is this perimenopause? I'm like, no, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just you're, it's, you know, massive stress, high cortisol. Um, and as a result, you're getting a lot of the symptoms that make you feel perimenopausal. But does stress push you into a perimenopausal state earlier than you would normally? Unfortunately, since we don't know when women's going to a woman is going to go through perimenopause, it's a really good question. They do think things like smoking, um, because the uh, the the chemicals in cigarettes affect the blood vessels, the blood supply to the ovaries, just like uncontrolled diabetes, the glucose affects the blood supply to the ovaries. And they do suspect those two things will push a woman into perimenopause and menopause sooner than she would normally go. But as we don't come with handbooks, I don't actually know when your body is, um, you know, programmed like, all right, you know what, at 46 and a half, that's when you're going to go. Whereas I'm going to go at, you know, 49. That's, that's a little bit tougher to tell. I do know that stress cortisol can make perimenopause rougher for women. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So help us out, Dr. Jones. What, <laughs> what are some factors? Is and gloom? No. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of those factors that can influence um, this transition for, for women? Meaning what can women be doing in their thirties and, and early forties to support their body through this hormonal transition? Yes. All the things that you know as a woman that you are pushing the upper limits on, but you've always gotten away with it before, you can't get away with it anymore. So all all those things that you relied on in your 30s, like, oh, it's fine. You know, I'll catch up on sleep next week or I'll, I can handle this stressful thing. I can take on this one more thing. I can, you know, uh, abuse or uh, cheat or what have you on my diet I cannot take care of myself. It's fine. I'm resilient. I've done it before. I'm still here. It's going to be okay. Once women get into perimenopause, perimenopause says, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, no, sweetie, that's cute. Mm -mm. We are transitioning and I need you 100% to be in your body. So all the lifestyle things, I need women sleeping. I need women using their blue light blocking glasses. Like you said, right at the beginning, I have my blue blocks on. I love my blue blocks. I have my computer glasses on. Um, So I'm telling women like, look, I need you to get full spectrum light in the morning and I need you to sleep in total darkness and I need you to evaluate your sleeping. A lot of parents, a lot of moms co-sleep. They let the animals in. They snore. Their partner snores. And they've kind of gotten away with it through their 30s. And then they hit their 40s. And, you know, I have women that are like, should we sleep in separate bedrooms? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I can't, you know, I need peace and quiet when I sleep. Should I sleep with headphones on or, you know, earplugs in? I'm like, yeah. I mean, you'd have to do what you have to do. You have to protect your sleep right now because that's so critical. I need women saying no. I need women taking care of themselves. I need women setting boundaries. I need women doing the self-care that we joke about on Instagram, you know, whether that's journaling or breathing or seeing a therapist or taking baths or their exercise or 
meditation, whatever it is, I tell women, you were kind of doing it in your 30s, but obviously your family takes precedence. And now as you hit your 40s, perimenopause will often force it, will often require it. And I hear it from more and more women. Myself, I'm 43. My body's like, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do that anymore. Um, We're we're transitioning and you need to work with me now. I'm like, oh my gosh. It's all the things my my women would tell me, like, wait till you hit your 45th birthday, Carrie. You know, wait till you hit your 50th birthday, Carrie. And so it's all the things that we, like you have been talking about over and over and over for women in their 20s and 30s. Um, And a lot of women are doing, but a lot of women are not, or they're they're half doing it or they're doing it sometimes because, you know, they have a lot, we, they have a lot going on. They have, they have, uh, you know, empires to run and families to take care of and, you know, other stuff. And now once they hit their forties, things have to shift a little bit. Yeah. So when we do hit that 40 something and we start to experience the symptoms of perimenopause, like maybe our cycles become irregular or we have mood swings or we do have trouble sleeping and insomnia, the unexpected weight gain, which we will touch on in a second. (laughs) Um, Are there things that we can do to start treating those symptoms naturally? Like, should we be, we know all this advice for hormone balancing in our 30s, but as those hormones, like you said, are on a roller coaster, what can we be doing to kind of treat those symptoms? Or is it something where we have to like do you recommend treating? Because you have this amazing, um, everybody go follow her on Instagram. I think you're just <laughs> at Dr. Carrie Jones, right? Yeah, yeah. Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So she, you had this amazing series on pen, perimenopause where you went through every little symptom <laughs> and how yeah. to, you know, how to b- hack it, so to speak. So it, it, is it really something where we have to work on each symptom individually or are, is there some general recommendations that you have to kind of work on each symptom, <laughs> negative definitely, symptom? G- so there's definitely general. So the general always go back to the basics, always goes back to um, how much sleep are you getting? Uh, what and how are you eating? What is your blood sugar control look like? How is your stress being managed? Mm. Um, are you happy? You know, where do you find joy? So are you getting regular movement? Um, whether that's, you know, exercise, walking your dog, walking with your kids, whatever it is, sports. Um, and so just those basic foundationals become critically important. I get asked all the time, what herb can I take for uh, sleep. I'm like, well, tell me about your sleep. Well, I stay up and watch Netflix or I'm, you know, building a business. So I put my kids to bed and then I stay up on my computer and I work on my business. And then it's with a glass of wine and then it's 11 or 12 and I can't fall asleep. And then I'm up all night and then my kid comes in and then my dog is snoring, you know, and, 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 but they're looking for the magic herb. I'm like, okay, herbs are helpful. You know, magnesium is helpful. Things are helpful with sleep. But you have to go back to the basics. You know, I we have to wind down at night. You have to sleep in darkness. I need you to use the blue light blocking glasses. I need you to cut out the wine, you know, switch to tea, switch to chamomile tea, switch to holy basil tea, switch to these calming things instead. You have to sort of redesign uh, what's going on. So you can biohack each symptom, so to speak, but you have to cover the basics first. And a lot of the symptoms, um, again, are because of 
your um, like communication in the body. So the brain trying to communicate to the ovaries, trying to communicate to the adrenal glands. And so this is where um, what com- all communication happens in the blood flow. It all happens in your circulatory system. And so if you've been sitting on your backside all day because it's work from home now and your kids are at school, you know, at home um, and you're not getting a whole lot of movement, then t- first of all, to improve communication, we have to improve blood flow. So mm-hmm. I'm telling you, go get a massage. I'm telling you, get up and stretch your legs and move around every hour. I am telling you, get that lymphatic work, jump on that mini trampoline, do the dry skin brushing. Um, you know, I'm telling you to do, go to see your chiropractor, go get acupuncture here and there because all of those things help blood flow. And that's honestly how your hormones travel around. That's that, that's the hormone superhighway right there. And so, yes, there are absolutely herbs and minerals and nutrients and vitamins that can help some of these symptoms, but I'm at the very least saying what we, you know, what, what are your basics? What are the, let's, let's look at how you live your life and adjust that first. And then we can add in the band-aids, which are all the supplements or even hormones. You mentioned wine. Um, so so it's 2020 and you know, even to be a little harsh about this, there's a culture now that exists where mama needs her wine, you know? And so we get this like, I think a lot of women have a dependency on their biodynamic, you know, whatever healthy yeah. wine. And we do know that there are some health benefits, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I think that, you know, I, I kind of see it as a, as a culture now, especially in 2020. It's how we're all managing. You know, it's how we're all right. getting through. So right. is that something you recommend? And we obviously know it does have a negative impact on the liver. But, you know, what are the risks versus rewards here? Is it really worth it for somebody to move away from that dependency? And should we even be thinking? Thinking that now in our 30s um, as moms to little ones, both because, you know, it's 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 a it's a give and take. You know, at some point you got to have a little bit of joy and a little bit of fun. But where do you cut loose and what's you know, obviously you can't answer that question for everybody, but I'd I'd love your your thought (laughs) on that. So I so when I was in my 30s, my patients who were in their 40s would say, you wait until you hit your 40s. You were not going to be able to handle alcohol anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was and I didn't I don't drink that much. Um, I drink about well, let me let me past time. I drank about one to two glasses a week. Mm-hmm. I'm now in my forties and I've realized they were right. And so, you know, I was like, well, that's interesting. I wonder what happens. And I would have patients who would move through perimenopause, hit their fifties, maybe even their sixties. And they would go, hallelujah, I can drink alcohol again. It doesn't really affect my sleep. Um, I don't notice it worsens my hot flashes. It doesn't make me feel terrible in the morning. So I have the occasional glass of alcohol at certain events or whatever. And so then I hit my forties and I, myself, I noticed if I had a glass of wine, even if it was, you know, hand-picked, biodynamic, organic, hand-washed, great, hand-smashed, <laughs> you know, everything, you know, doesn't, you know, blessed by Tinkerbell herself. Yeah. Like it didn't matter. My liver was like, no, I don't like this. And so I would struggle with sleep. I would, I would wake up. I would notice that I would feel hotter or warmer. And so I know and my friends would say the same thing. They're like, does anyone else notice that the occasional glass of alcohol or, you know, one or two glasses of wine at dinner was, was really starting to affect them. And uh, lo and behold, my patients were right there. What I can, from what I can best gather is when we're going through perimenopause, obviously a lot is changing. And so the body is shifting and adapting to keep up with these changes and, and some enzymes 
that help us process things in the liver are also shifting and changing and reacting to the fact that we're some hormones are more and some hormones are less. And so now when we drink alcohol for a lot of women, not all, but for a lot, they will say, wow, I really can't process that anymore. Like it affects my sleep. It affects my, um, my, my, my temperature, my, you know, I feel, I feel warmer. I get hot flashes. I feel crummy in the morning. I feel, you know, like it takes, I'm, I'm groggy. I feel puffy. My face is puffy. It's affecting my water retention. Hmm. And so that, and it affects estrogen detox. So even if it's the most low sugar biodynamic organic wine in the whole world, it's still alcohol and it will, alcohol wins when, when it hits the liver, if estrogen and alcohol goes to the liver at the same time, alcohol wins, it's stronger, faster, better. Mm -hmm. And so estrogen gets pushed to the back and then recirculates. And when it recirculates it, for some women who have estrogen problems, it worsens their estrogen problems. So I've actually even had women say, you know, I have the occasional glass of wine, but I won't drink the week prior to my period because it just makes my PMS super bad. It makes my endometriosis bad. It makes my whatever bad. I'm like, yes, it affects how your liver processes estrogen over alcohol or uh, alcohol over estrogen and you become symptomatic. So I warn women, you know, and I agree with you. I think it's very much a coping culture right now. 2020 is well, it's not an easy year. Let's just say that, it's right? On any, yeah. It sucks. It's a yeah. cluster is right. And so, um, and, but, and so as a result, I think like women are gaining weight and they're not sleeping as well. And they're, you know, not feeling great in the morning and their, their water retention is off and they're having hot flashes. I'm like, oh, well, hmm. you have to reevaluate the basics. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. Talk to me about hormone testing because I, I kind of feel like if we're doing all the, okay, so if a woman in her thirties has, hormonal imbalances that we can see with the Dutch test, working to resolve those in her 30s and early 40s is only going to set her up for success when those hormones start to go a little wacky, yes. right? So <laughs> yes. sh should a woman be doing hormone testing on a regular basis in, in her 30s and 40s as well as when she's going through menopause? Is there information we can see from that? Yes. So I definitely recommend women, you know, at least in their thirties, if they're feeling okay, then I would say, you know, like once a year, once every other year, do a baseline hormone test, do a cortisol test. Um, you know, obviously I'm partial to Dutch, but you don't have to use Dutch and see what's going on. Because then as you start to shift, as you start to hit your forties, um, and into your fifties, you can, you can really see like, Oh, you know what? I felt my best when my cortisol was at this level, my testosterone was at this level, my progesterone was at this level. And now I notice that I'm, you know, three quarters that amount or half that amount. And I'm really starting to have symptoms. Okay. This is making sense. I'm, ha I'm having like a full adjustment. But if, if you're a woman who's not really ever been tested and you slam into your forties or your fifties, you really don't have a baseline. You don't know where you came from to where you're at right now. And that's really helpful for me to know as a practitioner is um, essentially what I tell women is how far did you fall off the cliff? Did you fall off, you know, a little bit? Was it like a cur the curb onto the street or did you literally fall off of Niagara Falls? And we have to, we have to really do a lot of work to get you back up again. So I think testing is really helpful. Hmm. What things should women be getting tested regularly? I know that the Dutch does a lot, um, but it, are there specific things that women should focus on? Yeah. And I'll actually go outside of Dutch for a second because when women transition, so when they 
uh, puberty, when they get pregnant, when they deliver, when they go through perimenopause and menopause, the big thing that's affected a lot is thyroid. And women don't get adequate thyroid testing um, at these transitions. And so I, and the, the thyroid, just being another gland, reacts to all of these hormone changes. And sometimes, unfortunately, it reacts for the worse. And we know typical symptoms of thyroid. We've heard about low thyroid. It's fatigue, it's weight gain, it's hair loss, it's dry skin, it's constipation. It'll change your cycles. And so as women head into perimenopause, it may not have a lot to do right then with your ovaries and everything to do with your thyroid. So we want to make sure we've got our our thyroid covered. The other thing I want women to get or pay really close attention to is their blood sugar management. So getting a fasting glucose, getting a fasting insulin, getting a hemoglobin A1C and get an idea of where your blood sugar is because blood sugar does become um, a hot topic as women head into perimenopause. Our estrogen and progesterone, testosterone play a role in our glucose and insulin management. And as we head into perimenopause and menopause and these hormones go down, we struggle more as women with that glucose and insulin. And that can lead to things like prediabetes, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, that weight gain, the spare tire, you know, the tummy um, that we gain or can gain. And so those are two big ones that I I want women um, outside of just normal hormone stuff Mm. to make sure they pay attention to with their practitioner. And then the Dutch test looks at all the hormones you think of that are female. So we look at estrogen. We look at three of the estrogens. We look at two of the three phases of estrogen detox. Estrogen detox is really important to know, one, if you're estrogen dominant, and two, to reduce risk for things like breast cancer. We look at testosterone. We look at um, progesterone. We also look at cortisol and melatonin. You know, a lot of women, regardless of their age, struggle with energy. They struggle with sleep. You know, they struggle with feeling stressed out or burned out. And so knowing your cortisol and and your melatonin and things like your another hormone for energy, DHEA, can be really helpful because those are modifiable. Amazing. Um, I had the qu- a question from somebody, actually a lot of people have asked this question is, how exactly do I get a, a Dutch hormone test done and actually read by somebody who's qualified? And is it available in um, in Canada as well as where she was asking? Yes. So um, you so a couple different ways. You can actually go to DutchTest.com and you can order the test yourself, which um, is Nice that you can be proactive and order your own test. The downside is that we as a lab cannot legally interpret it for you. So we do have a find a practitioner solution um, on the on the um, website. What I strongly suggest people do is that they find a practitioner (laughs) who can then get their whole history, their whole case, all their symptoms, decide what tests they need and then can review the test with them and come up with a individual plan. That's that's the way, the route that I strongly suggest. And yes, we are absolutely available in Canada. We're actually available pretty much all over the world. I mean, we're in mm-hmm. all through Europe and we're in Asia and we're in, you know, South America and um, we're in the UAE. I mean, we're all over. Yeah. So once we get all that information, um, say say a woman is going through perimenopause and she's getting 
her hormones tested and she sees that things are all over the place. And um, a doctor recommends that she try hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your personal take on that? And where is it appropriate when we're talking about resolving some of those symptoms of perimenopause? Right. So I will say, so estrogen is the big hormone that everyone freaks out about. Now, when we talk about hormone replacement therapy, there are lots of hormones, thyroid hormone replacement therapy, right? Um, Progesterone, testosterone, DHEA. Those are all hormones as well. But the one most everyone is concerned about is estrogen. Now, estrogen gets vilified and um, I understand why, but estrogen is also what makes us a woman. So she does help our brain. She helps our heart. She helps our skin. She helps our collagen. She helps a lot of stuff in our body. And as we get older, as we lose estrogen because we're going through menopause, it she, the loss of estrogen affects our brain function and it affects our heart, puts us at risk for heart disease. It affects our skin. It affects our bones, osteoporosis and osteopenia. And so I am a fan of hormone replacement therapy, but I have a large caveat it has to be for the right woman. So I'm getting her history. I'm getting her symptoms. I am testing her detoxification pathways. I'm talking with her about um, breast imaging, however that looks for her. And I'm making sure she understands, you know, the pros and cons, the risks of going on estrogen before she goes on estrogen. There's pretty good research to show that when women start estrogen within, you know, I believe it's like five years of, um, of menopause. So, so women in perimenopause can start it if they need it, start, start estrogen, that then it can really help, um, reduce the risk for like osteoporosis, osteopenia, Mm -hmm. and it could potentially really help reduce the risk for heart disease. And I think women, I understand, you know, breast cancer is, is, is scary. Don't get me wrong, but actually breast cancer is not the number one killer of women. It's heart disease. Um, and, and Alzheimer's and dementia, which is not so much a killer, but it is, it's growing in the amount of people that are, are developing Alzheimer's and dementia. And so I want women to understand like, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to try is try like heck to help your body reduce the risk of developing breast cancer. But I also want to reduce the risk of Alzheimer's, dementia, heart disease, osteoporosis, because those um, are really not fun either. Mm-hmm. And so I do believe in, in estrogen hormone replacement therapy for the right woman. If she has a uterus, the other big ca- caveat I have to say so she's doing estrogen um, and she has a, her uterus still. She does have to be on progesterone because we estrogen can, does increase the risk for uterine cancer when it's left unattended by itself. So she needs to be on progesterone. Hmm. Um, does it make sense for like a woman to track her cycles when she's in perimenopause since they are all over the place? Like we obviously it's cycle seeking is a big topic right now. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a wonderful topic because I think it gives women um, a sense of, oh, wow, there's this monthly thing that I go through that really does impact my life, who, what I feel, (laughs) how my physiology, and I can kind of be in sync with that to support my body through you know, those processes and make symptoms less severe, for example, of like PMS and PMDD. So does it make sense for a woman to continue to to track her cycles through menopause and get information about her cycles in that way? Yes, absolutely. Except um, a lot of women, as they enter into perimenopause, they may still have regular cycles, but start to develop symptoms. So she may still get her cycle every month, but is noticing, you know, some more hot flashes or she's feeling warmer at night. Um, her brain is not as sharp as it used to be, what have you. And so it's still helpful to track her cycles. 
Once women start to get irregular cycles or skip months altogether, what I don't want her to do is panic or freak out or try to micromanage that mm. um, in that, um, oh, no, I'm 48. I've just skipped two months. What can I do to bring it back? It's quite possible. Um, it's not it's it may not ever come back. That may be it. It may be you know, two months and will turn into 12 months will turn into indefinite. Or it may come turn out that she skips two months and then randomly she, without any sign, she'll get her cycle back. And she's like, oh, awesome. <laughs> My yeah. period started. And so I tell women track as best as you can. But as you as you are moving through perimenopause, you have to relax um, maybe and let go of some of the control when you were tracking maybe in your 20s and 30s mm -hmm. of understanding what's going on because your ovaries, your brain to your ovary communication, um, is not, is it's, it's kind of chaotic. It's not as regular and synced as it used to be in your thirties. And that's the transition you're going through. Yeah. And so I don't want women to feel like they're trying to micromanage every day of their, um, cycle and perimenopause, especially when they're pretty irregular, but it definitely gives them good feedback if they are still having consistent cycles. Um, for example, uh, in like in June, I believe it was in June, a couple times during the pandemic, I track my temperature on my, I have an aura ring. So I track my temperature on the aura ring, my temperature deviation. It's not my actual temperature. Mm -hmm. And, um, my cycles were still regular and my temperature never went up. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> I'm not. That means I didn't ovulate. Cause when you yeah. ovulate, you release progesterone and progesterone is warming. So it warms the body up for the second half of your cycle. And so I still had regular cycles, but it was helpful for me to know like, okay, I'm missing progesterone this month, which means I'm probably going to be edgier. I'm probably going to sleep less. I'm maybe going to have more anxiety. Like I know this about hormones to prepare, like, okay, what can I do to ensure I ovulate next month, but also prepare myself for this month when I feel crankier and moodier and are likely going to have some symptoms? You know, speaking of, do you have any advice for the ways in which we can talk to our partners about all of this? Because obviously women going through perimenopause have been given the stigma of like crazy, hormonal, emotional basket cases, <laughs> like yes. all those negative, horrible things. And so I feel like that's really all our partners know at the current right. moment about perimenopause right. is that they're the women in their lives are going to be going crazy and it's going to be awful and they're going to be throwing the sheets off and telling me to go into a different room and sleep in a different bedroom. <laughs> and, you know, it's right. like they, so they obviously have to go through it too much like pregnancy. It's, it's a huge learning experience for our partners as well. Do you have any <laughs> advice or have you kind of, you know, talked about this with your with your clients? Like how do we get our partners on board and educated as well? Much like pregnancy, it's being just as open at, for the same reasons. And, you know, as you're having the transition, if you if you skipped your your period, I mean, I don't know. Not I know not all women are comfortable talking about their menstrual cycle or want to with their partner. Um, but if you do, like you know, letting them know, like, look, mm. there's this thing that happens that's called perimenopause, and some partners, you know, are are remembered when their mom went through it, or maybe they have an older sister who has gone, you know, that they're familiar. Um, and so that can be helpful. Uh, but honestly, it's just a lot of open communication. It's like, yeah. look, this is what I know about perimenopause. I'm going to do the best for myself. And it's probably like pregnancy. It's going to require me to, um, 
like really look at my health more. It's going to require, you know, I really have to focus on my sleep. I'm really going to focus on the things I choose to put in my body. It's, it's really, I'm really going to focus on like when I say no or set boundaries or health self care, like it's really important. There's a, um, there's a funny meme that a friend of mine who's uh, a little bit older than me sent me. And it's like the best, the best part of being in your forties is that you can tell somebody essentially to F off and you don't care. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> it's true. You hit your, you hit your forties. You're going through this transition. You just become, um, not that you don't care, but you have to, your body is forcing you to put yourself first, uh, as opposed to maybe last or not even in the top five of your family. And so because of that, you, you're like, look, I don't want hot flashes and I don't want night sweats and I don't want this weight gain and I don't want brain fog. And I'm going to do what I have to do to try to get myself as healthy as possible during this transition. And as a result, I find that my women in their forties were like, I, in fifties were like, I just don't take crap anymore. Mm. And that can be really jarring and hard for the family or hard for the partner. Whereas they used to be easygoing and didn't really care and rolled with the punches. And now they're like, you know what? I did care. I just never spoke up. Mm. <laughs> and I'm, 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 I'm going to put my foot down and set some boundaries. And so just letting your partner know, you, you know, there's a chance over the next five to 10 years, I'm going to go through this transition and it's, yeah, you know, it's this, we need to work through this together and communicate this together and, and, and figure it out. And so that's what I advocate for. Yeah. I think it's, I think a physiology lesson is definitely in order now thinking back to it. You know, I do communicate when I'm starting my period one, because it means to my husband, one, because it yeah. means we're not having sex um, in, in the near future. And and second, it means I'm not pregnant, you know, so it's it, and it's like, oh, OK, good. Whew. Um, because, you know, our, our, our second one, it was it was a surprise. So it it's it's normal for us. Yeah, I think it should be very normal for couples to exchange information about that. But yeah. also, like, I remember doing a lot of teaching. um you know, at night, brushing your teeth, yeah. talking through a couple things like, hey, here's yeah. here's what's happening in my body and here's what's going on. And it's I think it's definitely something you should you should be like, this is, uh, you know, we're a team and this is us going through this as opposed to a woman feeling alone. You know? Yeah. I um, communicate with my husband too about my periods. He can often usually tell because I want all the chocolate in the world, all of it. And so yeah. it's pretty obvious or it might be a little snippier. So yeah. uh, yesterday I was a little snippier and he brought me flowers and he goes, oh. is your, is your period starting? Because I don't mean to be rude or, you know, yeah. be, you know, like stereotypical, but it's been about a month. And I was like, you're right. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh -huh. And we actually had a funny conversation the other day. We we're talking about perimenopause. So he knows the basics of perimenopause and menopause. He watched his mom go through it. Mm -hmm. And so he's, he was like, you know, what can I, you know, tell me again what I can expect. And so we were talking about it and I happened to say, you know, it, it, the, the transition for a lot of women, I think the average is five to six years for five mm. to seven years, I think is what the literature says for most women before they lose their period. Now, once they lose their period, that's when you're fully menopausal. You have to lose your period, no period for 12 months at the 13th month of no period. You were considered menopausal. We should have a party and crowns and, and the whole thing, but we don't. So I'm explaining to my husband, it's a, it's a five to seven year transition. And he spit out his water. He goes, years, years. <laughs> I was like, Oh, have I miscommunicated this? <laughs> 
goes, I have to deal with this for years. I'm like, oh, well, no. I, you know, it's what I do for a living. So I'm gonna do the best I can. <laughs> <laughs> I got it covered. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm trying. Figure it I'm out. Trying. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. Um, okay. <laughs> let's jump to with our last few minutes we have, of course, uh, we have two questions. One is about supplements and the other is about weight gain. Mm, so this mm-hmm. one's from Stacy. Are there supplements that might be beneficial for everybody while they're going through um, perimenopause? Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm just going to say, so I think as women are transitioning through perimenopause, honestly, like quote unquote safer supplements are like, like a mineral support. Make sure you're getting your minerals like magnesium, right? And you want to make sure you're getting a good B complex, um, even a good multivitamin, just some of these basic, you know, and a, a good quality omega, um, omega three, however that looks for you. Uh, a lot of people take fish oil, but I know some people are vegan or vegetarian. And so, um, just some of those basics, which you would think, oh, I get those for, from food or I make sure I eat healthy food or why would I need that? Because we know our soil is so depleted and our, even, even the foods, even organic foods that we get are just not as nutrient dense as they used to be. And as we go into perimenopause, this transition I find is just a lot, um, harder, stressful, tougher on our glands, on our enzymes, on our requirements, especially as, because, it also tends to be a stressful time or a busier or more demanded time in our life in our 40s and 50s. And so I'm like, just give your body a little, little extra love, like take your multi every day, take your B complex, take your magnesium at night to help you with sleep. Um, you know, take, take your fish oil for your joints and your skin and your hair and your heart and just, just love and nourish it on that. Now, are there extra supplements beyond that, that could be helpful. Yes, absolutely. However, it does depend kind of on what's going on. So for example, anxiety is a big one. And so two relatively safe things for anxiety. One is an herb called holy basil. It's also known as Tulsi. And some of you may have seen it as a tea. There is a company whose name is now completely escaping me. And they have a, they have a Tulsi tea and they have like Tulsi tea, sleepy time, Tulsi tea with ginger, Tulsi tea with rose, And so you can take it as a supplement, you can drink it as a tea, and that can be really helpful for anxiety. The other anxiety thing is L, L L-theanine. L-theanine is very calming to the body. It is not addictive. It doesn't generally get in the way of medication. So if you're like on an antidepressant, it doesn't affect that. And so women tend to like L-theanine because it can just calm the system. So it can be good in the day if you're feeling ramped up. It can be good at night if you struggle to sleep because you're worrying, thinking things over, you know, um, sort of hypervigilant. Now, when we get to um, hot flashes and night sweats, the herb sage, people use sage when they make stews or casseroles or what have you. But that that herb sage, it's very drying in the body. And so you can see it, you'll find it as a supplement as well. You can just use it when you cook, use the herbs or uh, use the herb sage. You'll see other stuff on the market like black cohosh. Um, you'll see another one called Dong Kwai, which is known as Angelica. You'll see them in a lot of menopausal blends that might um, may or may not be helpful. Um, you'll see black cohosh probably the most. And then the the other big one is that when you head into menopause and peri, perimenopause, I've talked a lot about stress and how it's sort of a time in our life where we have just more demands on us just because we're older and the people in our life are older. Our kids are older. Our parents are older. And so we're, and you know, we're, we're further along in our careers. And so definitely, um, this is when I really work with people. I test their cortisol and I really work with them to how can we help support 
their stress response? How can we help support what's known as the HPA axis or the um, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or the, the basically your your adrenal response? And so you will see supplements out there that have things in it like ashwagandha or rhodiola, vitamin C. Vitamin C is really helpful for the adrenal glands. Vitamin B5 is really helpful to the adrenal glands. There's a fancy sounding herb called eleutherococcus with an E. You will see that. Um, sometimes you'll see that in teas as well or powders. And so there are good things out there, but they can be definitely individualized. And so I still always recommend working with somebody, get tested and find out what works for you because you may not be a good candidate for rhodiola. You bought it, you spent money on it. You're like, Carrie, that was crap. It didn't do anything. And then I maybe look at your lab work and hear your history. And I'm like, Ooh, I would have never put you on that in the first place. Hmm. And so, um, but yes, we definitely have band-aids that could be helpful um, in these scenarios. Got it. And the last question is, of course, about weight gain and perimenopause. <laughs> um, this is from Sarah, Julie, Junie, um, and Sandra. All are asking, you know, weight gain and perimenopause. So what are the hormonal shifts that cause this? And, and is there a specific tests you should look out for? Julie also asks, like... How do you shift your your diet and exercise? Does intermittent fasting make sense? Like what what shifts should we be considering when we're talking about nutrition and fitness and and that lovely, you know, unexpected weight gain when we're seemingly doing nothing different? Right. And I hear that all the time. I have so many women go, I have to, I have changed nothing and I've put on 10 pounds or yeah. 15 pounds or I believe the Mayo Clinic says the average woman in menopause gains 11 to 18 pounds. I'm like, ugh. So I'll tell you the why. The why is because the body can make um, part of the why, some of the why. The body can make estrogen out of fat tissue. And so to, as you women head into perimenopause to make sure that it can always have a running supply of estrogen, it adds a little extra cushion to us, which we don't really need now anymore. <laughs> Most women are pretty happy with their cushion. Mm. We have a lot of estrogens in our environment, like plastics. Like we have a lot of estrogen around us that we don't really need it. Like we maybe did a couple hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. The other reason though, is that um, women become less sensitive to insulin and you will hear it be called insulin resistant. So even though you've been exercising and, and following your plan or whatever, however you eat, because the hormones are changing, that changes the way our cells use glucose um, and our cells um, use insulin. We be, so we become more insulin resistant and we become, um, we tend to have a lot more problems with cortisol. And cortisol, coupled with insulin resistance, coupled with hormone imbalance, leads to the weight gain in the belly. We get that belly as opposed to the booty or as opposed to the hips. And so we need, I tell women, and I'm 43, like, girl, I feel it. I feel mm. you. I understand. And so this is where you have to change. What you used to do before is not working. So we need to look at doing, um, you know, check your cortisol and maybe consider doing less intense workouts, which is like mind blowing for some people. Um, but I'm like, I think maybe you need more nourishing, more things that help bring your cortisol down instead of, you know, the hit training, the high force, the cycling that bring your cortisol up. You could handle it in your thirties and your forties right now. It's, it's, it's too much hmm. reevaluating your diet and looking at like, Hmm, okay, it's 2020. I have been coping with a lot more wine and drinks. I have been coping with a lot more 
snacks and sugar and, and, and carbs and what have you. And I'm not vilifying necessarily any of them, but as you're making this transition, your body can't use these things like they used to in your thirties. And so you will be looking at maybe more veggies, you know, less sugar, more protein and veggies, less alcohol, um, more, more sparkling water <laughs> instead, <laughs> seltzer water instead of, of elk, you know, going for alcohol. And I totally, y'all, I drink water out of wine glasses mm. straight. Up. I mean, I am fancy. This is what I do. Yeah. I walk around my house with wine glasses. <laughs> my husband, my kid thinks it's hilarious because it's just great. water or sparkling water. Um, and so that's, that's the thing. And as far as intermittent fasting, I am a fan of intermittent fasting for sure. I do find, and maybe you may agree with this. I do find that, um, uh, there's a lot of maybe misconception or there's a lot of ways to do it. And so women, um, they're not sure where to start or they, they, they maybe end up doing sometimes end up doing more harm than good. So I would at least recommend, like do some research, you know, find somebody who teaches, coaches, advocates for intermittent fasting and, and really in, in apply that to yourself versus just thinking, Oh, I just won't eat for 16 hours and then eat whatever I want in that eight hour window um, or whatever you do, 14, 10, you know, what have you. So I do believe in intermittent fasting. I do think it's helpful for insulin, but I do think it's not, um, I do think it sometimes needs a little coaching or if you've, if you've never done it before, at least do some research into it and <laughs> get yeah. yourself educated, you know? Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying and what you're recommending is all these things that really one reduce cortisol, reduce chronic stress or the things that we could be, you know, exposed to that are causing some chronic stress. And then two, really trying to work on improving insulin sensitivity, whether that's with a little bit of experimenting with intermittent fasting, being more cautious mm -hmm. of these sugars and baked goods and all that kind of stuff, upping protein and veggies and moving to more. I love that, like, you know, nourishing movement and also maybe some like lifting weights and stuff like that mm -hmm. that can really yep. improve that. Um, yeah. lean mass and, uh, you know, uh, give a little boost to your metabolism when you need it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I, I love that. Um, where can we, I obviously mentioned your, uh, Instagram, which is fabulous. Um, where can we find more about you? Are you working with clients? What is your main thing that you do when you, to connect with people? I, it, for sure, Instagram, uh, which is, as I said earlier, at dr.carryjones. I am not working with clients at the moment. I'm on a sabbatical, um, but I do have an entire database full of practitioners um, like yourself who can who run the Dutch test, understand the Dutch test, and we can connect you with somebody who can help you with, uh, with hormone imbalance. And you can find that at dutchtest.com. Awesome. Okay. We will link to that in the show notes. We've talked a lot about the Dutch test before on this podcast specifically. I've, I've, we've mentioned a couple people that we trust like Dr. Becky Campbell. And, mm -hmm. but I think that if, um, that is a great resource. We'll obviously link to it in the show notes for everyone to be able to have access to somebody who can run that Dutch test. And it, you don't have to meet somebody in person to do that. You can do that online, which I think is one of the good things, the silver linings that has come out yeah. of 2020 <laughs> is that we can get medical care very easily through our computer. It's not yeah. like we're running ourselves ragged trying to find an appropriate practitioner or care, you know, um, in, in our area. So I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Carrie Jones, for being here. Um, and yeah, thank you for educating us. And we will definitely, I'm sure all of us will be following you and, and uh, learning from you more on your Instagram. 
So thank you so much. I really appreciate being on. I hope of everybody, I hope people don't think it's all doom and gloom with perimenopause. It's not, but I just want people to be real about it and then know that they, you know, there's real things you can do to help. Yeah. Yep. I love that. I love getting to the root cause and, and taking some control, obviously knowing yes. we don't have full control, but being able to hack it where we can. So, all right. For more from me, you can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. Of course, you can buy the book. Um, all the places that books are sold, coconutsandkettlebells.com slash book. Um, thanks so much for being here. We will talk to you next week. 